0: Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, informs, and embraces the spouses beside the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets defence life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever and whenever you want. And with products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses, you'll wonder why you didn't join sooner. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Welcome to the podcast, Defence Bank's Head of Product Lending, Cards and Insurance, Kim Bowles.
1: Thanks, Beck. Thanks for having me today.
0: Thanks for coming on. Today, we're talking about buying a house and ADF grants, entitlements and all the things. And I guess what we need to start with is once someone has made the decision to save for a house and have Decided that they want to go down that path and research and and do all the things when it comes to buying a house. What are the first steps? What should they be doing first when they've made that decision to save for a house?
1: There's a couple of things probably straight off the bat to think about, Beck. And the first is any outstanding debts that you have at the moment. So if you've got any personal debts, try to reduce them or pay them down as much as possible. Thinking about starting with your higher interest rate debts, such as credit cards and personal loans. If you've got a spare couple of dollars each week or fortnight, just start whacking it off those and pay them down as much as you can. Because any debt that you do have, when it comes time to apply for your home loan, those debts will be factored in and it may affect how much you can borrow. If you use the home loan borrowing calculator over on the Defence Bank website, you can pop in your current income and expenses, which will give you an indication of how much you might be able to borrow. And you can play around with it. So if you put your current expenses in, you'll get one figure. And then if you see with those debts gone, you'll be able to see how much increased uh, borrowing power you actually have.
0: So when it comes to settling your personal debts, like you said, if you need to show that, you know, you've been paying those debts down, is it the case where you have to have those debts at zero balance? They have to be completely gone for you to be able to go forward with a home loan? Like how does it work with managing those personal debts and wanting to enter the property market?
1: Yeah, not at all, Becky. You don't have to pay them out entirely, but if you can show that you've made a really big dent in them, If you've got a couple of credit cards, then maybe you might want to consider consolidating them and paying out and getting rid of two, maybe just keeping one that you need. But if you've also, if you've only got really small balances and you can show that you're only going to have those repayments for a short period of time, that will definitely be factored in by your lender when they're assessing how much you can actually borrow
0: and also when it comes to personal debt and obviously saving for a house deposit and and entering the property market you can do those two things alongside each other so you can be paying off that personal debt but also putting money aside and saving for that deposit and that shows the bank that you are able to to do that and manage that
1: definitely So if you're putting some to pay off your debts at the moment, you can also have a look at a savings plan. And I'd say that's probably a must for most people getting into the property market. You can have a look at a savings plan and we've got a calculator on our website again, which shows you how much you might need to save each week or fortnight to achieve your deposit if you've got a set target of how much you want to save. Alternatively, you can say, okay, well, I can afford to save $100, $50, whatever, and it'll tell you how long it'll take to achieve your goal. But, yeah, I would set up a separate account where you can put those funds aside without touching them. And you might want to look for an account that pays a bonus interest payment, for example, when you deposit funds each month, but you don't withdraw from it. It just helps you achieve your your goals a little bit faster.
0: And so how can someone considering entering the property market decide between buying an investment property or buying a property to live in? Obviously, ADF families move around a lot. They may not necessarily be in the location that they're thinking of buying a property for the whole entire time that they have that property. So they might think, okay, well, instead of us trying to figure out where we'll be and which location would be best to do that, let's get an investment property instead. How do you sort of decide that? And do you need to let your bank know about that when you're going for the loan? How does it work?
1: Choosing between a home or an investment property is going to be a really big decision that you'll need to make. And it will largely depend on your personal circumstances as you've said, whether or not you're getting posted or not, whether you're likely to be posted again in a relatively quick period after you first get there. And obviously your financing options, what are the home loan rates and stuff like at the moment? generally, there is a difference between home loans and investment loans. You're likely to be paying a bit more for an investment loan. And it also depends, you know, buying a home can be a really emotional type decision is, you know, if you're wanting to buy a home, it's a first home you've bought, for example, it might be the house of your dreams that you're looking for to start with. So it might be something that you want to buy, you want to do up yourself, you want to really make it yours. And if that's what your dream is, then obviously you want to buy your own home. If you're wanting to buy an investment property, you might need to think, about a whole raft of different things about you know what is the the rental market like in that area are you likely to have tenants in your home all of the time because if you're not got your house tenanted then obviously you've got no income from it what are the suburbs like is it close to uh, all of the infrastructure public transport schools and everything that you might need so there's a whole raft of different information that you'll have to consider including some tax options so you might need to have a, a think about getting an accountant to give you some information as well. But whether or not it is an investment property or a home that you're going to buy for yourself, you can talk to one of our lenders because we can give you some um, really good insights into wherever it is that you're thinking of purchasing. We can give you property and suburb reports, which give you details on whether it, you know, whether the prices are going up or down and just give you some more intelligence about where you're thinking about purchasing.
0: Yeah. And dependent on whether you're going to live in the home or whether it's going to be an investment property. There's also grants and entitlements and schemes that home buyers can access, especially ADF families. Um, There's some extra things that are in place for, for us to access. When it comes to buying a home, where do you even start? I mean, I guess let's start off with what there is specifically for first home buyers because there's there's some different things in place for first home buyers. Of course, anyone thinking of accessing the grants and entitlements we're about to discuss will need to check whether they're eligible in the state or territory they are actually living in or are buying in and, and how it differs from state to state and territory. But I guess let's start off with the first homeowner grant. What is that? Who can access it? How do we get information about it?
1: Yeah. So as you said, first homeowner grant, It does. it is one of those grants that does uh, differ from state and territory to state and territory. There are property price caps for first homeowner grants, but it's not income tested. But you do need to be a first home buyer, as in you have never before owned property in Australia, either on your own or with a joint borrower if you have one. So Generally, they're around the the $10,000 to $15,000 mark, but as I say, it does differ from state and territory firsthomeownergrant.com.au, you'll find all of the information and it'll actually have links off to the individual states' websites, which give you all of the the relevant information around eligibility.
0: Okay. So uh, next up is the First Home Loan Deposit Scheme, which is now called the First Home Guarantee Scheme. What is that one about?
1: Okay. So the Home Guarantee Scheme is now the overarching uh, scheme, which looks after several schemes. So we've got the First Home Buyer Guarantee, we've got the Family Home Guarantee, and we have the Regional First Home Home Buyer Guarantee. The really exciting thing with all three of these schemes is that our ADF members have been considered and there are some exemptions available to them. So the First Home Buyer Guarantee, as it sounds, it's your very first home that you're purchasing. You need to have never before owned homes or property in Australia. It is income tested. So it's available if you've got an income up to and including $125,000 as a single or income up to and including $200,000 for couples. There are property price caps. So, you need to have a look at those. They're all available. There's links on the Defence Bank website through to the Home Guarantee Scheme website where you can get all of the property price caps in the relevant areas. You do need to have residency in those homes, though. So, you do need to be going to live in those homes and it is ongoing. It's not like you only have to live there for 12 months. You have to stay in the home. However, the exemption that I mentioned before for Defence members, if you get posted and the only reason that you're moving out of the home is because you are being posted to a new location, the guarantee will stay in place and cover your loan. So that was a really good piece of advocacy that a couple of the banks got together just specifically for our defence members. And we were able to get that written into the legislation for that. Yeah, um,
0: because previously that hasn't been the case with exemptions. It has been sort of kind of on like a case by case basis and you could kind of maybe plead your case, but it wasn't a guarantee that you would get any sort of exemption. It was sort of just state def- by state, territory by territory.
1: Definitely, Beck. When the When the scheme was first released as the first home loan deposit scheme, there were no exemptions in there. So there was quite a bit of advocacy that went on for our defence members because it's just one of those things. We know that they get moved around as a result of their service and they have no say over where they get moved to and from. So yeah, if it's a formal posting and that's the only reason, then the exemptions will stay in place. So that was a great win. We've also got the Family Home Guarantee and we have the Regional First Home Buyer Guarantee. So the Family Home Guarantee is for single parents with one at least one dependent. Um, that helps you get into your new home. The income tests and the property price caps are the same as we discussed with the First Home Buyer Guarantee. Um, we also have the Regional First Home Buyer Guarantee. So that's obviously for people purchasing their first home out in regional locations, which as we know, many of our defence members do because that's where a lot of our bases are. And again, the income test and the property price caps with the First Home Buyer Guarantee and the Regional First Home Buyer Guarantee, you only need to have saved 5% deposit to be eligible for that, and then the government will give you up to the next 15% so that you don't have to pay lender's mortgage insurance. With the Family Home Guarantee, it's actually even better. You only need to have saved 2% to be able to get the guarantee. If you have got a little bit more saved up, though, under the, the legislation, you do need to use as much of your deposit as you have, as you can, towards your home purchase though. So you can't just use 2% and save, you know, say you've got an extra 50 grand. um, You can't keep that up your sleeve. You do need to use up as much of your deposit as you can.
0: Yeah. So there's no using the 2% and you that other 50 grand that you've got goes towards renovations.
1: <laughs> no, no. You're allowed to have a little bit, like if it is a first home, everybody accepts that going into your first home. Sometimes you've got to buy all new furniture. Um, you do have to get the landscaping done and that sort of stuff. So you're allowed to withhold a reasonable amount, but generally, yeah, you need to put as much as you can towards the the purchase yourself.
0: Yeah, and that's obviously because you're being able to access a scheme that's helping you. So you yeah. sort of have to come to the party as well.
1: <laughs> you <don't. laughs>
0: Yeah. So what about the first home super saver scheme? What What is that all about? How does that factor in?
1: Okay. So the first home super saver scheme is for those who are putting in a little bit extra to their superannuation each pay. It doesn't apply to any funds being contributed by your employer or your normal super contributions. But if you are able to put a bit aside and extra into super, you may be eligible to pull some of it out to use as a deposit for your home. There are some quite strict criteria around it so I would provide guidance to everyone and say seek some guidance from the ATO or your accountant if you are considering this option because obviously it does affect if you're pulling money out of your super it could affect you a little bit more longer term or down the track.
0: Yeah and so with the super saver scheme and obviously people have to consult their accountant and financial experts when it comes to their own individual circumstances but with the super saver scheme when you have put that extra super into your account like you mentioned aside from from your employer contribution and all of that when you're putting extra into your super and you choose to redraw that for a house deposit or towards uh, purchasing a house. Do you get taxed on that or is that what the super saver scheme is all about is the fact that you can put it away in there and then pull it out when you need it.
1: There's no tax on it. It is part of that benefit, as you say, putting it into your super and saving it. There is a limit on how much you can withdraw though to use for your deposit. So that's why we say, yeah, get some professional guidance on how it may affect you.
0: Definitely something that everyone has to look into on an individual basis and see whether that suits them. What about one-off transfer duty concessions? What is that?
1: The stamp duty savings in most states and territories is available for 1st home buyers. It does depend on property price caps, where you're purchasing, etc. So if you jump onto, we've got a stamp duty calculator on the Defence Bank website, you can get an indication of the savings that you may be eligible for. If you have a look, you could say, yes, I'm a first home buyer, gives you one figure. If you click on, no, I'm not a first home buyer, you'll see quite a larger figure in most cases, but that'll give you an indication. There is eligibility for all of that as well. Your conveyancer will generally be able to help you with all of your stamp duty requirements and how much you need to pay. They'll, they'll sort that all out for you. They will fill in any uh, applications that you need for stamp duty concessions. So that's where you need to head with that one.
0: And do those differ from state and territory?
1: They do, absolutely, Back And there's some really big changes happening with stamp duty in the various states at the moment. New South Wales, for instance, are in the, the midst of implementing a new system where you can pay your normal stamp duty up front or you can pay a monthly property tax. Um, there's some really big implications there. You need to to really get some guidance and do some calculations to work out uh, what's going to be best for you in those circumstances because it depends on how long you're planning on staying in you know, a property for example so you need to really do your do your sums on that one to see what's going to be the best option but definitely from state to state the amount of stamp duty that you need to pay differs quite substantially.
0: Yeah which is so tricky for 80 families because obviously they're moving around they don't necessarily know where they're going to be purchasing a property, they might just be saving and thinking, okay, well, let's just save, save, save. And then when we get to a location that we think, okay, now we're ready to purchase a property, whether it be that they purchase in location or they say, okay, well, we want to actually purchase an investment property somewhere else. But like it's trying to consider all of those different rules for this different states and territories. And I guess the, yeah. the beauty of giving them all the information in this episode is that they, we'll have all the details for the different locations so that they can go okay well our possible postings might be darwin perth and canberra and so let's figure out what we are eligible for and what we need to factor in for those locations
1: absolutely and that's the beauty of all of the calculators we've got on our website they are particularly the stamp duty one that we're talking about now you can go in by location and you can see what the impact is you can see how much you're going to need to save or have put aside. Some states you may need to pay your stamp duty up front. Some of it may be settled And payable at the time of settlement on your home loan, so it's um it is one really big thing to consider.
0: Yeah, and then we might have people thinking, okay, well, it actually works out better for us to get posted this location, so let's put that as our first preference.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All of the things, your fees and charges on your home loan, uh, because they do change significantly from location to location, it may have a really big impact on you. Absolutely.
0: And so, what about new home build grants?
1: The federal government new home build is not around any longer. There are a raft of grants available and there are just so many little grants and some of them there's a couple that are you know two and three grand that you might get in some locations others have absolutely nothing it's really something you need to do a bit of homework on for new home builds but generally there's not a lot around for new home builds any longer and it's all covered under uh, either your first homeowner's grant or your home guarantee schemes
0: So, is there anything else that people should be researching when it comes to purchasing a property, saving for a first home? But are there any other grants or anything else that people should look out for?
1: There's not really any other grants. What you do need to consider, though, is more often than not, you'll have either a solicitor or a conveyancer acting on your behalf. So you do need to consider their costs as well. And they'll generally add them at the time of settlement. So you'll, you'll pay that at the time of settlement. So you might want to have a look around and get a quote from a number of conveyances, for example, see how much they're going to charge. As a rule of thumb, we would generally say to you that you need to have 5% of your purchase price for your fees and charges, conveyances, fees, stamp duty, all of that sort of stuff.
0: Obviously, we've spoken about the grants and and the different things that are available for new home owners, but for home buyers who already have a property, what exactly out of those things are available to them to access when it comes to grants, entitlements and schemes?
1: Unfortunately, for anyone who is onto their second or subsequent property, there's no grants available for them. Everything is really geared towards getting people into the property market with their first home.
0: So aside from all that we've just obviously discussed, there are some other schemes, grants and entitlements available that are specific to defence members. Let's talk about that thing called DOHAS. What exactly is DOHAS?
1: Okay, so DOHAS is a scheme aimed at assisting our defence members to achieve their dreams of home ownership. So if they're purchasing, refinancing or building a home to live in, and they get a loan through a DOHAS approved lender, then they may be eligible for a subsidy on their home loan. So the subsidy is a portion of the interest payments, which is about 37.5% of your interest payments. It does change from month to month, obviously, depending on interest rates and average house prices, but it's a considerable amount, which just gets paid straight off your home loan each month directly from DVA. There are some eligibility requirements, obviously, you must have served for at least two years before you can be eligible for DOHAS. That's one of the recent changes that came in is a reduction in the eligibility. So for two years, you get tier one at four years, you get tier two. And if you've served for eight years, you'll be on tier three. And as you advance on your tiers, the DOHA subsidy that you get increases. So it's it's quite a good benefit to help you get into your home. It doesn't have to be a first home either.
0: So previously that um, eligibility was you had to have served minimum four years, but now it's gone down to two years, which, you know, yeah. for some people obviously defence consider serving from, you know, day one when you sign up, when you go away to training sort of thing. So someone could technically be finishing on the tail end of their training and be eligible for DOHAS and to be able to go forward and buy a house?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So after two years, you you start earning what are um, called subsidy credits. And so for each month that you then serve in defence, after you've finished your eligibility period, you'll get a month's worth of subsidy payments. So it's up to a maximum of 20 years subsidy payments or 25 if you have any war or war-like service during your, your period in the defence so yeah it can be over the term of your loan it's a considerable amount um, of assistance that you're getting to pay off your loan
0: so in in simple terms for those who don't know much about DOHAS or maybe are new to defence life in regards to how it actually works in a simple way to explain it is that you're eligible for DOHAS your your house and the subsidy gets paid into your mortgage account, and yep. so you know it, that's extra money that is getting paid off your mortgage. So, for instance, maybe it works out that you get $230 uh, a month or whatever it is dependent on your loan and dependent on your tier and what you're eligible for. But that's $230 a month that's coming off your mortgage that's, you know, helping you pay down that loan.
1: It is absolutely. And it's advanced payments. Again, we've got a calculator on our website. So if you you jump in and you say how much you're, much you're making for your normal repayment, and then you put in your DOHAS amount as your extra repayment, it'll show you how much shorter your loan term will be and how much interest you're saving over the term of the loan. So it's a good way to see exactly how much benefit you're getting by by using your DOHAS entitlement.
0: So obviously something that if people don't know the details about DOHAS or they want to factor that into their property purchase and how that will work for them. Where is the best place for them to find information about DohaS and so they can, like you said, figure out how that will work for them?
1: So, Beck, our lenders can give anybody wanting to know an overview of DOHAS and information about our DOHAS loans and how they work. But to get information on eligibility and entitlements, the best place to go is the DOHAS website, which is dohas.gov.au. It's got a a heap of information about whether you're purchasing, whether you're refinancing, if you're going to build your own home. It walks you through the process of applying for your DOHAS certificate of entitlement, which you will need to give to your lender so much information there. But if you can't find what you're looking for, you can also call DVA and have a chat to somebody and ask all of the questions that you need, confirm or clarify any questions you have around your eligibility, and they'll be able to walk you through everything.
0: Yeah. And there's no silly questions because some of that stuff can be a little bit complicated. I mean, what is what does DOHAS even mean? That's an acronym that people are probably like, well, what is, what is DOHAS?
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. DOHAS. And, you know, we've been around DOHAS, or I have now for for way too many years, um, Defence Home Ownership Assistance Scheme. But, yeah, there are no silly questions when it comes to buying a house or finding out what your entitlements are or your eligibility because you can't just make assumptions that you might be eligible for something and get all the way down to perhaps settlement only to find that, uh, oh, we probably should have checked that earlier. So, yeah, just ask as many questions, um, particularly around DOHAS because it, it is legislation and there are sometimes it can be quite literally black and white. There's no grey areas. So yeah, absolutely. If you've got any concerns, need any clarification, then the DOHAS website or give them a call and ask the question.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so obviously important to get that information so that they, you know, while you're saving and or when you're looking into purchasing a house, you have all the information on the table. But when and how do people actually apply for DOHAS? Like when is the best time? Is it you know, when they're finally at the end of saving their deposit, like how does it work and when's the best time to look into it?
1: probably once you've once you've actively started looking for a property you would need to get moving and get your your DOHA certificate organized it only takes generally a week or two you can apply directly through the DOHA website you will need to upload some of your service records and some information but you can do it all online and then you will be emailed your certificate of entitlement the certificate lasts for 12 months so you've got plenty of time it's not like you have to rush around and and get your loan settled so once you start looking most people generally find a property within a couple of months and then you've got your certificate ready to go you've either got your pre-approval or you're putting in your application now and then yeah you're all good to go you know that you've got your DOHAS eligibility you know you're eligible for the DOHAS loan with your DOHAS lender and it's just a lot more smooth sailing
0: yeah and like we mentioned before in simple terms you know you apply for DOHAS if you're approved and depending on what tier, you get a certain amount of money paid off your loan per month and it just goes into the account and it all works that way. But what actually happens once you have been approved for DOHAS, like how do, how do the payments actually work? They, they really are as simple as you're approved, got all the paperwork sorted out and it just sort of looks after itself.
1: It pretty much does. When you get your certificate of entitlement emailed to you. There'll also be a covering letter, which just gives you information on what needs to happen. Once your loan is settled and everything has happened with your bank, your bank will notify DVA that they've settled on a DOHAS loan in your name and will give them all of the details. And at that point in time, you do need to fill in a subsidy authorisation request form that will have been provided to you with your certificate. So as long as you fill that out, it's a very short questionnaire, just acknowledging that yes, you are going to live in the house, that yes, you are eligible for it. And then as soon as DVA have that form and have processed it, your subsidy payments will commence in the the next subsidy run after that. So depending on the date that your loan settles. It might be a month, it might be a month and a half before you get your first payment, but that'll all be sorted. And if you have missed any payments, it'll be backdated. So you don't miss out on anything.
0: So we've covered DOHAS, but there's also something called HPASS. What exactly is HPASS and you know how do people access it?
1: Don't we love a good acronym with Defence and Defence Bank? So HPASS is the Home Purchase Assistance Scheme. So this is a one-off payment for the first home that you're buying as a Defence member. It could be a new or an existing home that you're buying, there are some eligibility requirements, but you or your defence member will find all of the eligibility requirements for this in Pac-Man. You can actually Google HPASS as well, and it gives you all of your information about what you need for eligibility, what you need to apply, how you apply. And that is actually an upfront payment that you will get, uh, which may be able to assist you with some of your, your costs with your home loan.
0: And so what is the upfront payment? Is there a set payment for everyone or does it differ on service? How does that work?
1: It's a set payment of around $16,900 before tax. If you are buying a home with someone who's not a dependent, then you may only get a percentage of that. So as I say, it is just a couple of little eligibility criteria that you do need to meet but you know $16,900 to assist with any of your costs particularly if you do have to pay stamp duty because it's not a first home purchase it's a it's a good bit of assistance to be getting with your home loan
0: yeah that's a huge chunk and you definitely want to make use of that and find out the information in regard to that. That can't be used for you, towards your deposit though, can
1: it? It can't be used towards your deposit, no, Beck because generally it's only going to come in a few days before your loan settles. So it's not something that's guaranteed that you're going to have because it's because there is that t- application period and we can't guarantee when it's going to be paid into your account. Unfortunately, it doesn't count towards your deposit.
0: Like with Dohas, when and how do people apply for that? When is the best time for them to actually go forward and apply for that.
1: You're going to need to know that you've got what your home is that you're purchasing. So once you've actually signed all of your paperwork, then you want to get started on your HPAS um, application and get that get that moving. So you can apply for that online. There is a form that you need to fill in and it's all available uh, on the website that you can, as I say, if you Google HPAS, all of the information, all of the links are there for you to find the application and it steps you through what, um, what supporting documentation that you need to go with your application.
0: Great. So we've covered DOHAS and HPAS. What about the home purchase or sale expenses allowance? And that's probably also got an acronym that goes with that one.
1: Hepsi. Well, that's the way that I say it anyway. (laughs) Um, So absolutely. So Hepsi is probably a good one. If you are selling and then repurchasing as the result of a posting, then you're eligible to have some of your sales and purchase costs covered and again this is a it it can be quite a big assistance to you this is something that is a reimbursement though so this is not paid up front you're not going to get these funds before your home loan settles because you're going to have to show evidence of what your costs are to get the reimbursement for this one So it covers all of your things like any real estate fees that you're paying, any commissions that you're paying to your real estate agents at both ends, any costs that you've got, any costs for conveyances, loan application fees in some circumstances, lenders mortgage insurance, if you've had to pay it. So there's a raft of fees and charges that this covers. And so it, it can be quite considerable. Again, it's all available on the government website and you can just Google Hepsi as in H-P-S-E-A, if you can't remember the whole the whole term, and it goes through all of the costs that you can claim, any costs that you can't claim, and again, what documents you're going to need to submit with your application for reimbursement.
0: Yeah, so good to know that all of these things exist, and accessing information about it and actually researching and, and seeing how to fit with you and your family is obviously a good thing to do ahead of time, but also, not, yeah, just in general, knowing that these things is, exist so you don't miss out on anything or, you know, maybe so you make sure that you're purchasing in the right area and you can technically access all that you you want to be able to access with all of that information in mind i guess now that we've covered dohas hpass and hepsi what about interest rates when it comes to figuring out what you can afford in regard to a home and and purchase amount how do home buyers account for interest rates
1: really big hot topic at the moment beck because interest rates are in a, a really volatile environment at the moment and as we all know they've risen so much over the last 8 to 10 months It's really going to be down to personal preferences. You need to be able to understand how much you can afford to to make in repayments. So on the Defence Bank website, we've got borrowing power calculator so you can see how much you can afford to borrow. But then we've also got repayment calculators so that you can calculate how much you're going to have to pay on a weekly, fortnightly or monthly basis. You can um, do calculations based on a fixed or a variable interest rate. Obviously, with a variable interest rate, your repayments are subject to change. Every single month, if there's movements by your bank as a result of Reserve Bank of Australia official cash rate changes. So that's one thing to think about if you do take a variable rate loan. If you take a fixed rate loan, generally your rates are going to be a little bit higher. But the one thing that it does give you is absolute certainty for a period of time in how much your repayment is going to be. So you know and you can budget that you've got a set figure that you need to make on your home loan each week, fortnight, month. However, frequently you make your repayments. So depending on what you've got going on in life at the moment, you might want that certainty and you might be willing to pay that slightly higher interest rate at the moment. Otherwise you might just choose to to go with the variable and just, yeah, just know that you might need to make incremental increases in your repayments or if they decrease official cash rates we might see some decreases but yeah it's it's all just whatever's happening in the market at the moment with the variable it could go up it could go down but you just need to be aware that it it is subject to change
0: So when it comes to saving for a deposit and then going forward and applying for a home loan, what happens in regard to the bank factoring in increases in interest rates? Do they look at what you can afford in regard to repayments and say, okay, well, we need to factor in if interest rates go up a certain amount that you can still afford? Like what is the buffer that banks look at?
1: By law, we have to have a repayment buffer when we calculate how much you can afford. And at the moment, that's 3%. So if the if the current going rate, for example, is say 6.22%, we're actually calculating at 9.22% to make sure that you're able to re- make those repayments and not get into financial difficulty if interest rates happen to to move. So we definitely factor that in. We also have living costs. We factor in an increase in living costs. We know that everybody is different in that respect. So we have a, a set benchmark for living expenses. If you think that you have higher living expenses, then we'll we'll use your figure. But we also then have a minimum benchmark that we're using so that we are really taking into account all of the expenses that are not negotiable. You know, you have to have your food, you have to have your car and fuel, childcare, things like that. We take all of that into account and make sure that that's all factored into your ability to make your repayments because the last thing we want is for you to get in to a home loan and then start to get into financial difficulty. So when it comes
0: to I guess choosing between a variable and a fixed interest rate what happens if you know you've purchased a home you've decided to do the fixed interest rate but then you you post out of the location or you decide to sell the property before the end of the fixed interest rate period like how does that work and does that have any sort of impact
1: yeah and it's a really big factor to to think about particularly for our defence members because if you do choose a fixed rate Then it is fixed for that period of time. If you choose to pay out the loan or sell the house before that fixed interest period is up, then there is a break cost, which will all be determined by what's going on with interest rates at the time. But it could be a considerable amount for a break cost on a fixed home loan. So if you even think that there's a possibility that you might be getting posted out of location or that you might need to sell the house within a defined period of time, then you really need to think long and hard about whether a fixed interest rate is right for you because it may be cheaper in the long run to go your variable interest rate. Yeah,
0: definitely. And, and, obviously with ADF life, you you just never know whether there might be a crash posting or something that comes up that you didn't predict. So something to consider. So what about the big question of how to get the best interest rate possible? Obviously, no one wants to be paying more than they have to, but how do people get the best rate possible? What's, what's the insider tip?
1: Oh, uh, look, there's lots of things that you can do and obviously do your homework and you can go around to a whole heap of websites and you can find out what is the best rates out there possible. But you do need to ensure that you're comparing apples with apples because if you're on a on a package loan for example where you're getting a whole heap of discounts on other products and services then you need to make sure that you're comparing same for same if you just want a plain Jane vanilla home loan then make sure that that's what you're comparing your loan with also. But you know the best thing to do is go and talk to your bank if you can see that they've got a better interest rate out there. ask them if your loan can go to that rate if you can switch to that loan product you know, it's a really competitive market out there at the moment. And most banks will talk to you about negotiating or switching you into another product.
0: Yeah. And that's even after you've got the loan and you're settled in your house, there's no reason why you can't go back and renegotiate.
1: Absolutely. Renegotiate. It's so much easier to stay with your current lender rather than go through everything to refinance to another lender, having to get all of your documentation, having to get reassessed for a loan again, particularly at the moment where we know we We've got interest rates going up, we've got property prices going down. You may not be able to, to get another lender to to give you a loan if you've lost some of the equity in your home. But yeah, the best possible rate, ask.
0: Also, you need to really consider who you're going to be banking with in regard to your home loan and you know, huge commitments and purchases like that. Because when has comes into it, when it comes time to possibly switch over to a different bank and refinance and change over, uh, that may impact your DOHAS.
1: It will absolutely, Beck, because there's only three panel approved lenders for DOHAS at the moment. So if, you, if you're refinancing away to a lender who's not on that panel, then first off, obviously, you're not going to get a DOHAS loan any longer, which means you're not going to get your DOHAS subsidy on a monthly basis. And when you're working out how much is that worth in, in general terms, um, our lenders can help you work out how much your DOHAS subsidy is worth in percentage points so you can really do some comparisons to see are you actually getting a better deal it might be on face value it might be a cheaper rate elsewhere but when you factor in your dohas repayments is it really
0: yeah and also when it comes to refinancing your dohas payments can go down because they're they're calculated in regard to the loan that you took out originally
1: Yeah, and that is one thing that you need to to factor in. Any changes to your DOHAS loan, you need to seek some guidance from DVA on how it may affect your loan, particularly if interest rates are going up and down. The subsidised loan limits change from year to year also. So it's whatever is in play at the time that you take out your loan. So if if your subsidised loan limit has reduced, if the subsidies have reduced And you get a new certificate then you will go into subsidy payment based on those reduced figures Um, if they've increased then you might win so it is something that any changes that you make with your dohas loan you really do need to seek some guidance from dva to to see what impact it may have on your on your home loan so for those
0: you know, that want to hear it in simple terms. For instance, if you go with one bank and you have borrowed 400,000 and then, you know, 10 years later you think, okay, well actually we're going to switch banks and you've paid that loan down and it's only 200,000 when you go and refinance your Doha is calculated on the 200,000, not the 400,000.
1: Exactly. Yep. So it's based on your loan at the time you take it out. And so yeah, any changes if you've made, if you're staying with your same lender, then it's okay, because you can make your lump sums and you're still getting you, your Doha subsidies based on when your loan settled originally. But if you do go to a new lender, um, and it does happen to be a DOHAS lender, the new figures on what you're eligible for will be based on how much is your loan at that new time, at that new point in time, and what are the subsidised loan limits and what are the subsidy amounts being paid at that time
0: we touched on it earlier uh, in regard to stamp duty what for those people that are maybe just starting to consider saving for a house and they don't even know what stamp duty is what exactly is stamp duty how do you factor it into your loan like how does it work
1: so stamp duty is payable when you transfer a property from one name to another. So when you're purchasing a home, you have to pay stamp duty to transfer it out of the, the seller's name and into your name. Stamp duty does vary based on location. So from state to state, territory to territory, there are differences in stamp duty, but we do have a calculator on our Defence Bank website to help you calculate the amount of stamp duty you're going to pay. And it gives you the option, whether you're a first home buyer or whether you're a subsequent home buyer, there is a big difference in stamp duty. So you need to to make sure that you factor that.
0: So you've done all the research about all we've just discussed, saved your house deposit, and now you have found a property. You obviously like to go forward and buy, what next should you have had pre-approval? What are the steps once all of that's happened?
1: Yeah, look, there's two ways you can go back. Some people like to just go out and find their house first and then go about it. Other people um, are wanting that comfort of having pre-approval before they go out looking. So if you've done some of your sums, if you've used the calculators to determine your approximate borrowing power, that's all well and good. You can go out looking. But really, if you want to get pre-approval Um, It can be really quick. Contact one of our lenders. They're going to do some quick sums with you. It's not a full application that you need to do to get pre-approval. It is conditional pre-approval. So it's conditional on you having to provide some supporting documentation later down the track. But we'll do a borrowing power calculation. We'll ensure that you can Uh, meet those repayments based on the information that you give us about your income and expenses and then you've got the comfort of walking away knowing that you've got pre-approval for a certain amount and so when you go to look at the houses you've got that bit of comfort that you can put in an offer on a home if you happen to walk in and see your dream home and you think yep that's it I found it let's go.
0: And so what happens if the defence member is away or deployed and you want to go ahead and purchase a property can you still do that if they're not you know in the country or can't come in and sign paperwork what do you need to do if you still want to do that
1: If that's the plan, if you know that the defence member is about to be deployed or potentially going to be deployed, I would be advising you to seek some legal guidance and get a power of attorney put in place, which enables um, you to go ahead with any purchase that you want to do. So you can then obviously sign as yourself and then sign under power of attorney for your deployed defence member, because whilst we can on occasions get documents overseas to members that are deployed, it's obviously a really time consuming process which could potentially delay settlement so it's not the ideal situation
0: I mean who who wants to try and get documents signed by a defense member who's in and out of communications and maybe Uh, the only time like that just sounds so complicated
1: it is really complicated getting you know IDing somebody who's remote that we can't actually talk to getting documents to you never know where they might be they might be somewhere that we don't know where they're meant to be. So, yeah, you know, ideally you don't want to go down that track and, and having your power of attorney is absolutely the way to go. So
0: we mentioned that there's been some recent changes to the legislation when it comes to eligibility and accessing entitlements and grants and ADF member-specific legislation. Can you talk us through what those changes actually were?
1: So really good changes for our defence members, back. There was the reduction of the eligibility Period. So you now only have to serve two years before you're eligible for Doha's. Previously, it was four years. That's for full time defense members. If you're reservists, it was eight years, it's now four years. So it's halved your eligibility time to get into Doha's, which is really good. The other big change that happened was your last certificate so when you separate from defence there was previously a five-year period where you could obtain and have to use your last certificate but obviously when you when you separate from defence trying to find a home can be and deal with life as a former defence member there's so many changes going on trying to find where it is that you want to settle it could take such a long time so there's no longer a time frame obtaining and using your last certificate so you can you know it might be five years it might be six years Um, it doesn't matter get your certificate once you get your certificate you've then got 12 months to settle on your home loan so it just gives you that bit more freedom to make sure that you're making the right choice and uh, and settle where it is that you actually want to settle in the long run
0: and so by last certificate, you mean former ADF members still being able to access DOHAS?
1: Yeah. So if you've still got subsidy credits available to you at the time that you separate from Defence, then they're not lost to you. You can still get a certificate and still take advantage of those subsidy payments that are in, that um, that you've accrued. So get you one last certificate to use and to make sure that you still get those um, subsidy payments after you've left.
0: It's dependent on whether there's been active service and a few other things in regard to how long you'll still receive those DOHAS payments after you leave defence?
1: It is. It does depend on how much you've had accrued and to to find out all the information about what you might have accrued, how much you might uh, still be entitled to, dohas.gov.au, get all of your information or give them a call, make them aware of your circumstances and they'll be able to work out for you how much DOHAS subsidy you might still have available to you.
0: It's something to be aware of and factor in, I guess.
1: Yeah, if you're entitled to it, you don't want to leave it on the shelf. So yeah, have a chat with the guys at DVA, and they'll be able to, to give you all of the rundown on how much um, subsidy you've got left and you can make a decision from there on when you might want to get your last certificate and use it.
0: So in regard to the changes to the legislation, how did those changes come about? Was it that a certain amount of people said, we need to change this, this and this? Like, was it the banks? Like, how do changes to legislation come about
1: so there's probably a number of things from my perspective that have contributed to those legislative changes back the reduction in the eligibility period, you know, trying to recruit into the ADF at the moment, like any sector is really difficult. So having to to join and then wait four years was a long time when you're waiting for some eligibility criteria like that. So that was one of the factors is to to assist with recruitment as well. There was a considerable amount of advocacy from defence advocates. So a number of organisations who would have been saying, well, you know, five years when you're leaving you don't know what you want to do sometimes you've made that decision that yes you you you're not going to be in defense anymore but what are you going to do where are you going to go what are the family circumstances so yeah fair bit of advocacy that went on around that there are a couple of administrative changes that have also been made to the legislation which were heavily advocated for I know by our bank things around uh accidental and mistaken closures of loans so where members may have accidentally paid out their loans there's a lump sum payment come through which was enough to pay out their loans there was no scope under the legislation for those mistakes to be addressed and reversed, so there's been a little bit of advocacy there to to get those things just to make it easier and just a little bit more flexibility in it so that we can truly assist our defence members with their DOHAS payments.
0: Obviously, we've heard about all the different grants, entitlements and schemes that are available in the different states and territories. All of the information that we've talked about today is good to research and have on hand when you're looking into actually saving a deposit, when you've got that deposit and when you're going into purchasing the, the property. Just. So that you're as informed as you can be.
1: There's a lot to cover, Beck. And one thing that I would say, uh, we've got a series of videos and blogs on our Defence Bank website called Home Loans 101. And it covers all aspects of home loans. You know, what's a variable loan? What's a fixed rate loan? What is stamp duty? How do construction loans work? They're 60 second videos in plain language, aimed to help you make some decisions and, and gain a better understanding of all things home loans. So please check them out. As I've said, we've got a whole range also on our website of calculators to assist you to work out how much you can borrow, what are your repayments going to be, how much stamp duty are you going to pay. It'll also cover lender's mortgage insurance. If you if you need to pay that, it will give you an estimate. But yeah, so much. And lenders give us a call touch base with a lender and start the conversation
0: well thank you so much kim from defense bank for coming on the podcast and telling us all about what's available what we should be researching and how we should be going forward in regard to saving for a house researching doing all the things when it comes to buying a house thanks beck